Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. In each episode, we review a saga, provide a close reading of the text, and then offer our judgments and final ratings at the Saga Thing. Yes. Uh, now, we finished Gretter's Saga's summary in uh, four episodes, which is really only one more than we planned on. Which is not too bad, actually, if you think about it. No, no, not really. Uh, but now, at long last, we get a chance to evaluate the saga through our usual categories. Uh, and we're assuming that most of you know how our judgment section works by now. But in case you don't, we're looking at best bloodshed, body count, nicknames, notable witticisms, outlawry, in which we'll exile one figure from Iceland and the sagas forever, Thingman, in which both Andy and I will choose supporters from the saga cast to join our all-star teams, and a final rating section. And uh, most of those are self-explanatory, I think. Right. Now, so you know how we always say something like, uh, th- there's so much to cover here, and there, there are a lot of good candidates in this one every yeah. time we do this? Yeah. yeah. Well, Greater Saga is like the longest text that we've covered, and it's mm-hmm. got more bloodshed, more bodies to count, more nicknames, and more witticisms than we could possibly do justice to in just this one episode. Yeah, it really does. So let's do two two or three judgment episodes. Never. What do you think? <laughs> no, we'll just do this one. Now, uh, but if we do look at like something like Bloodshed, for example, I've got nearly 20 good candidates for that honor. And I had to cut a lot of mm-hmm. wonderful deaths and maimings just to get down to 20. Yeah, no, I understand. Um, I didn't have quite as many as you, but I had a pretty long list too. And my notable witticisms category is a smorgasbord of amusing lines. Mm. Uh, and don't even get me started on the nicknames. No, I won't. Trust me. I, I won't. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'll save them for later. Well, given that I've written down like 85 names while reading uh, before I got tired and quit, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've got plenty to discuss. You must be having oh, I do. I do. Okay. So I, if, you, if you do have a lot, I'm going to ask you to restrain yourself this time. Never. You, you and I managed to significantly pare down the list in all the other categories, but I did trust you. I left you alone for nicknames. You and I don't want to have another Vatensdal saga situation on our hands, if you know what oh, I mean. Oh, you just relax. Don't you worry <laughs> about it. Everything's going to be just fine. Sure. I prepared a nice little list for us to enjoy, featuring some interesting stories and some of the best. Oh, good. Now, I hope you have uh, Thorbjorn Laksakarl on that list. Ah, good old Thorbjorn Salmon Man. Salmon Man! See, you'll have to wait until we get there. Okay, well, let's not waste any time. Our first category is... Best Bloodshed. All right, now, we've had sagas with some pretty impressive examples of bloodshed in them so far. Uh, yes, we have. Uh, Ingolf and the Outlaws from Vatensdala Saga comes to mind. Ah, yes. One of my favorites. And we've also had a Uniped archers and Scottish mm-hmm. giants, Hrofenkel being strung up by his Achilles tendons, and even Gisli slicing a man in two. Down the middle, I might add. That's a but, hard way to do it. Yeah, that's not the easy way. But uh, we've never had a saga so jam-packed with the kind of ridiculous action movie violence as this one seems to be. Yeah, there is a lot of killing in this saga. Um, which explains why you had around 20 good candidates for the award, and I had a yep. similar number. But we discussed all this beforehand in an effort to narrow the field a bit, and somehow we've each managed to choose just three potential candidates for the category. Now, you listeners won't understand just how difficult that conversation between us was. Oh, I think they might understand, because I'm sure they're going to be very annoyed when we uh, fail to list their favorite uh, examples. Yeah, it's um, possible. But each time, you know, each time we tried to wrap it up and get us to narrow things down, uh, one of us would keep interrupting with one more favorite. That's right. No, we. I, I had a lot of favorites, and I know you did too. But uh, mm-hmm. but I think I'm pleased with our six candidates that we've settled on. 
Okay, so who's going first? Well, I uh, I always like it when we keep it in chronological order and lend some semblance of uh, structure to it. So uh, mm-hmm. the first one that I've got comes before yours, I think. Okay. All right. Now, now I wanted to include the scene at the Battle of Havisfjord where Onund leans back to dodge a blow and ends up losing his leg. Um, but the hey, more- hey, hey, wait, 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 wait now. Yeah? What? You're sneaking in one of the scenes we eliminated from contention. <laughs> I no, wanted to get Onan's leg being cut off in, and we decided no, we couldn't do that. No, 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 I'm not. I was just setting up my first candidate. Oh, sure you were. Just yeah. why don't you just skip ahead to the actual candidate then? All right, all right. Well, it's been a while since we talked about Onan, so I just thought a quick refresher was in order. But if you insist, I'll jump ahead. Yeah, thanks. Um, but I am going to take a little more time with this first candidate, just because we didn't get to cover this episode as fully as we should have in the Onan episode. All right, that's fair, that's fair. Uh, You can do it, but only because I think other people will enjoy this scene as much as we did. Exactly. So, uh, the scene I want to talk about occurs in Chapter 4, way back at the start of the saga, something we covered, it seems, months ago. Uh, (laughs) Onan had already lost his leg, fallen into a depression, and gotten married to Ofe Gretter's daughter, Asa. He then begins to feel a little bit better about himself after a battle against two Vikings, Vigbjoth and Vesmar, who have been Mm -hmm. raiding Scotland and the Hebrides. In an attempt to catch the Vikings, Onan traps them in a narrow and deep channel between two cliffs, somewhere near the Isle of Butte. Um, Maybe one of our uh, Scottish listeners can identify a possible site for this battle uh, by the description of the setting that they give. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, The setting description is a rocky fjord. So if (laughs) if you can find one of those in Scotland, just let us know. No, no, no. Well, it, it says that no more than five ships at a time could get into the channel. Mm-hmm. Um, it was possible to get ashore on one side, and there was an island nearby. There you go. Presumably outside of the channel, right? So mm-hmm. Onan sent uh, several of his men ashore and then stationed them atop the cliff hidden from view. Looking helpless, he then lured the Vikings to follow him into the channel. Mm-hmm. Now, Thinking that they had Onan right where they wanted him, the Vikings attacked his ship, and Onan welcomed that attack and let his ship drift toward the cliff. Hmm, I wonder what he's up to. Mm -hmm. Thinking that he was trying to escape, the Vikings pursued, attempting to place their own ships somewhere between him and the cliff. Right, and they're even taunting Onan while this is going on, yelling things like, It's not often that we've seen men who can't stand up going into battle. Right, but Onan will get the last laugh in the end. Mm -hmm. As soon as the Viking ships were beneath the cliff, Onan gave the signal and his men began to drop such huge stones on them that nothing could withstand their force. A great number of the Vikings fell there and some were so badly wounded that they couldn't fight anymore. Right, and we should make the point here that uh, the kinds of ships that we're talking about, these are ships built for uh, speed and maneuverability, not for strength. Right. Right. So these are not the kinds of ships that a rock would just bounce off of. These are the kinds of ships that a large rock from a great height goes right through. That's right. And when the Vikings tried to escape, those that had working ships after this, uh, they found that they had trapped themselves in the narrowest part of the channel and Onan's men are closing in. And between the number of ships uh, and the quick current, there was nowhere for them to go. Mm -hmm. Now, this allows Onan and his men to begin boarding the ships for a bit of Viking cleanup. And that's where my first candidate for Best Bloodshed actually begins. Well, that was a lot of setup, but it's well worth it. it Shame on us for not covering that scene in more detail the first time around, by the Mm -hmm. way. It's a real indicator of Onan's genius, and uh, I think it's a lot of fun. Now, uh, let's get to the bloodshed. All right, so Vigbioth the Viking attempts to encourage his men to fight back, but they're being overwhelmed by Onan's small force, and Onan himself is there. And despite his obvious disability, Onan tells his men to back off so that he and Vigbioth can see how they got on together. Well, they put a log under Onan's knee and then back off. 
Vigbjoth fights his way along the ship to the stern where he finally meets Onund. Vigbjoth then strikes with his sword. It hits Onund's shield, shearing off the edge and deflecting the sword downward and into the log that Onund has under his knee. Mm. And with this sword stuck in Onund's leg, Vigbjoth is left defenseless. And at mm-hmm. that moment, Onan strikes at Vigbjoth's shoulder, taking his arm clean off. Vestmar, the Viking, sees this and flees, leaving poor Vigbjoth to bleed to death in front of Onan. Right. And it's not a quick death. No, no. He's got to lay there and bleed to death. And Onan mm-hmm. has enough time at that moment to compose a poem about his victory and gloat over the uh, increasingly pale Vigbjoth. But uh, <laughs> we'll have to save that, uh, that poem for the notable witticisms because it's mm-hmm. such a good one. Uh, excellent. Uh, now that's not our bloodiest candidate for best bloodshed, but it's a good one. It's an excellent one. I, I definitely think so. Uh, now, the scene isn't just significant for me because we get to see uh, Onan's intelligence at work. Uh, this battle also allows Onan to rediscover himself and to show his value in battle once again. It, for me, it's a real powerful scene. Uh, now I'm done. So thanks for your patience. What's no, your no first candidate, John? Uh, all right. Uh, I don't think I need to spend quite as much time on this one because... Everyone who listened to the first episode of Greta's Saga will remember the epic battle on top of the whale carcass. Oh, wow. We should, uh, <laughs> why don't we just stop now? I, I don't know what could beat that. It's incredible. <laughs> well, uh, you know, there are other candidates worth considering, but uh, this one this one has got to be in our wheelhouse. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's thoroughly violent. It's completely bizarre. It's just odd enough to garner extra attention. Just odd enough? I'd say it's downright fantastic. I mean, this is the kind of thing we live for in Saga Thing. Uh, so let me just remind everyone of the best parts of the scene. So Onan's sons have been arguing with Flossi Eriksson about who has the rightful claim to the land they're living on. All this comes to a head when a whale carcass washes ashore on the disputed property. Flossi and his men find the whale first, and they get busy carving it up. Yeah, and if I recall, this is during a famine, right? So this whale meat alone, not to mention all the other stuff, is going to be extremely valuable. That's right, but the Onundersons show up and all hell breaks loose. They slice at each other with flensing knives, crash about on the blood-soaked shore, swinging axes, flinging giant sheets of whale blubber <laughs> at each other. It's complete chaos. I mean, you could stop right there at fleeing whale blubber, and I'd vote for this one. It's amazing. I know, but it gets better. <laughs> well, it's hard to get better than using whale blubber as a weapon, but you'd go ahead and try to make it better. Uh, <laughs> all right, remember Thorgir Bottleback? Uh, the guy who got his nickname after Flossie's clumsy assassin axed a bottle of whey on his back? Of course I do. I don't forget that easily. Well, he spots the clumsy assassin, Thorfinn, who's up at the head of the whale, jumps onto the whale's back, runs the full length of the whale in a kind of epic slow motion through the battle, which is raging on all around him, men being beaten to death with whale ribs along one side. Yeah. Runs up to the head of the whale and chops off Thorfinn's head. And don't forget his amazing line. That's what seals the deal. Right, but I think we're going to save the actual line for notable witticisms. Oh, again, here we go. All right. <laughs> well, it's a great line and it's a great scene. I mean, I almost feel bad mentioning any other candidates now. That's incredible. Oh, now nobody needs to be ashamed of their bloodshed in this saga. <laughs> They've all got plenty to be proud of. I mean, how can we do best bloodshed without mentioning all all the animals that Gretter kills, for example? <laughs> oh, oh, good point. Oh, those poor animals in this saga. <laughs> oh, it's it's hard to pick just one animal scene. There's a lot of them. It, it really is. Uh, in Gretter's childhood alone, we've got some pretty impressive bloodshed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know we that you're probably thinking of the flaying of Kengala the horse's back, right? Yeah, how could I not? That's the most graphic of all the deaths of animals. I know, in I know. But but don't forget those poor goslings that Osmond asked Gretter to watch. Oh, oh those poor little. That's yeah, sad. Yeah, it does seem at times like every animal that comes into contact with Gretter meets an untimely and violent end. 
Uh, he's got the geese, Kangala the horse, and that giant bear just oh, at the beginning of the song. Yeah, now that's one that I really wanted to include. I mean, in terms of what we look for in Best Bloodshed, the mm-hmm. fight with the bear has it all. I mean, it includes an impressive fall mid-battle down the side of a cliff where he lands on the yeah. bear, killing it. Uh, <laughs> or almost killing it, I guess. Uh, it's it's one of my favorite scenes in the saga. Pretty See, amazing stuff. And you didn't want to go on after the whale scene. Yeah, I'm glad we did. I told you there are other great candidates. We're yeah. not even done with animals. Uh, remember that <laughs> Gretter knowingly leaves his horse vulnerable for Glom to kill. And uh, the results are spectacular. His horse is dragged out into the open and crushed. Well, you know, Greter had to see what Glom would do. I mean, that horse is kind of like uh, Greter's Honshao, a good opportunity for our hero to see what he was up against. It's a nice Beowulf reference. Yeah. Oh, and, and don't forget the sheep. Greter's not nice to sheep at all. No, uh, but that's hard to criticize him for. I mean, the guy has to eat. Oh, sure he does. He could have gone vegan, though. <laughs> Speaking uh, of vegan in medieval Iceland. Right. Well, you know, if you're an outlaw, it's a good choice. I think you're forced into it. Anyway, speaking of uh, Glaum and the animals, we have to include the cows. Uh, which cows? The cows. I, don't, don't you remember this scene? No, you always manage to find cows somewhere in these sagas. <laughs> Obscure animal deaths. <laughs> yeah, anyway, this is from uh, chapter 33, just when Glaum is really starting to terrorize uh, Thorhall's farm. Uh, the, the saga says that uh, one fine winter morning, the farmer's wife went out to the cow shed to milk the cows. Inside, she hears a terrible crack and a horrible bellowing. So she called the farmer to investigate, and inside, he found all the cows going crazy. They were goring each other, crying out, stampeding around the shed. I mean, it's like a, a scene from the farmlands of hell itself. <laughs> Are there farmlands in hell? Well, I don't know, but but I, I know if there were, I assume that this is exactly how the cows would behave, and milking them would be nearly impossible. Well, I mean, you'd have to try to grab an udder as it goes by, I suppose. Well, maybe, but then how do you catch the milk that way? You have to hold your pail up and aim carefully. <laughs> I mean, practice makes perfect. If you're in hell, you've got an eternity to work on this kind of thing. Yeah, good point. I guess you do. Anyway, I love the author's description of the farmer's response to all this. He comes in and sees you know, the cows goring each other mm-hmm. going crazy. Mm-hmm. So what does he say? He says, the farmer didn't care for that very much. <laughs> that's a, a very reasoned and calm response to such a chaotic scene you got to admire that kind of understatement uh yeah and and if if that wasn't bad enough he then finds his favorite herdsman in the barn uh, nearly broken in half it's a brilliant and disturbing moment quite good it for really the saga. is it really is uh all right uh my last one is probably Gretter's attack on the giant mm. that one is certainly bloody enough Oh, it is. Uh, if you're looking for real kind of visceral gore in your best bloodshed, this one is hard to beat. Uh, as we said in the episode where we covered this scene, it's a close parallel to Beowulf's fight with Grendel and Grendel's mother, only kind of in reverse. So in this case, he encounters the giant, who's a pretty obvious stand-in for Grendel, in the cave underneath the waterfall. When the giant sees Gretter, he leaps up and strikes at him with a huge heptasax, or a poleaxe. Uh, Gretter parries and cuts the shaft of the heptasax in two with his short sword. And as the giant reaches for another sword, Gretter attacks him from the front, slicing at the giant's chest and belly. And the description here is just awful. Uh, it says, It practically took off all the ribs and belly, so that his innards were flung out of him onto the river. Flung out of him. That's what it says. Uh, it just speaks to how violent the hit really was. Uh, the blood and guts then flow out and are swept down the river. They kind of just spill out of him uh, over the rocks and into the water. And remember that priest is supposed to be waiting for Gretter. Well, 
He panics and leaves after he sees all this viscera floating by. Mm, viscera. <laughs> no, he's not exactly the brave and trusty companion that Greta had hoped for. No, he seems to have trouble finding trusty companions. Yeah. All right, well, my last nominee is a quick one, very quick. I, and I don't think I need to go through any lengthy review here because we just covered this one in our final episode of the summary. Well, there's only one bloody death in that episode, so I think I know which one you're talking about. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, I don't think it'll win, but I would feel bad if we didn't mention Thorstein Drummond avenging the death of his brother uh-huh. Gretir by taking the short sword from Thorbjorn Hook and burying it into his head until, as the saga says, it came to rest in his teeth. That's a striking image and a pretty amazing scene. And it's a good way to end our list of candidates. So uh, what do you think there, John? Boy, I don't know. I mean, I I love a good giant disemboweling. Yeah. Um, I really do. Um, I I don't – I honestly don't know if anything can beat the brawl on the whale carcass. I really I know. Don't. It's, I mean, but, it's, you know. And there's so many good candidates. The thing about that one is it's the setting that, that really – cinches it yes well it's also that you know you've got i mean there is people being beaten to death with whale ribs there's people being cut with flensing knives yeah there's thorfinn being killed with his own axe right Right. i mean it's all the the stuff going on all at once yeah i mean i really kind of after we we kind of went through all those i kind of want the bear and gretter to win just because of what (laughs) an amazing scene that is but when you compare it to what's going on in atop and around that whale yep you, you can't beat it yep yeah, I think the, I think the whale's got to do it. Exactly. All right. Well, let's move on. Body, Body count. count. All right. So uh, exciting news here. Uh, Gretter's saga actually uh, sets us a new record for body count. Um, yeah, I don't think anyone's surprised by that. No, not at all. Um, what I'm pretty sure of, and uh, I think this may be a surprise, is that Gretter single-handedly sets a new record for body count. I think Gretter alone kills more people than we have had killed in any other saga one of our uh, uh our followers matt parker was wondering he mm-hmm. actually sent us a facebook post asking how many untimely deaths can we attribute to gretter himself and i encourage matt to uh count that up <laughs> and let us know <laughs> uh, poor matt i'm he estimating here i'm estimating here but okay. uh it's i'm pretty sure uh that nearly a hundred of these guys are just gretters alone Wow, that is impressive. Uh, the final number, by the way, for the entire saga, uh, our count is 146. 146. 146 and, dead. Uh, that, and that could be disputed to some degree based on some weirdness in terms of right. how numbers are played right. out in the saga. But, uh, uh, and I want to be clear, we're not counting any of the monsters. Right? We're not counting um, Car the Old or yeah. uh, the Giant or the, the Glom's Ghost mechanism. That's right. You know, by my count, there are about five unnatural things mm-hmm. that are like monsters, spirits, things like that, uh, that Gretchen kills over the course of the saga. So yeah. five unnatural things. And then four animals plus extra geese or goslings that, that were also killed. So mm-hmm. Gretchen, uh, he's a, a busy, a busy little bee. <laughs> he does. He uh, he certainly does his part for body count. Yes, he does. Now you're you're. Uh, I want to adjust the number slightly as, in terms of humans. You said mm-hmm. 146, right? That's correct. Can I add uh, a point five to that? 146.5? 5 is what I'm going to go for. You better have a pretty good reason. Well, my reason, and and you could argue with the point five if you want to, but uh, Thorbjorn, you shared that lovely story about how he killed his stepmother. In our last episode. This is Thorbjorn Hook, yeah. Thorbjorn Hook, right? Um, remember, she was pregnant at the time that he killed her. So mm-hmm. 
we have a fetus that is also killed, a potential oh, life. Uh, right? So I'm there. saying that is a point, a nice point five, which we've never had in Saga Thing history. So it's kind of a it's true That's a great true. opportunity uh, to screw with the numbers, right? And I see I see the way that you're uh, nicely straddling any kind of ethical questions about uh, when the when life begins. That's that's right. Well, you know, I don't know how far along she was, mm-hmm. so I can't really say. Right. So point five seems fair. Okay, fair enough. I'll I'll All accept right. that one. All right. So we have one hundred and forty six point mm-hmm. five plus uh, five unnatural right. beings right. plus four or more animals. And I think you know not a lot of controversy, but it is worth noting that uh, this saga writer has an odd problem with counting bodies. Yes, he does. Uh, this happens more. This happens three or four times over the course of the saga, where a battle will take place, and he'll be very clear about how many people are there at the start of the battle, and how many people are killed, and how many people leave. But that number of people leaving doesn't match the number of people who were there at the start of the battle. Exactly. Right. But he often will add people. Every edition notes uh, there's a problem with the numbers at right. some point in the saga. Right. Uh, and so frequently we had to sort of go back and sort out. How many bodies hit the floor? Uh, because you can't rely on how many people actually manage to get away. You love that phrase. because frequently there's too many people getting away. Every time you say bodies hit the floor, I just imagine you cruising along in your old Yaris, jamming to that song. <laughs> uh, I've actually never heard that song. I know I know the song exists, but I've never heard it. Okay, then. There's a reason why the phrase predates that song. I'm reasonably confident. <laughs> all right. All they right. are referring to that very well-known and time-worn phrase. All right. So 146.5 plus correct. five unnatural things and four or more animals. That's well correct. done, Gregor Saga. That is going to be hard to top. <laughs> it really is. And all it right. topples uh, Airbridge Saga quite handily, which is our previous mm-hmm. record holder. Nicknames. Here we go. Nicknames. This is my favorite category. This is the category where John drones on about his favorite <laughs> nicknames in the saga. Really? No, 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 no. That is not going to be the introduction. Why not? I thought that was pretty, you pretty ass. clever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Notwithstanding your insincere enthusiasm, um, <laughs> there are an overwhelming number of nicknamed men and women in this saga. Um, I counted just over 100 distinct nicknames. Wow. Uh, and that means there's no time to go through more than a small representative group. So at least like 75 of them. Oh, <laughs> no, no. We're only going to hit about a dozen or so. Uh, wow. we'll, have to, we'll have to pass over the pleasures of Orm the Wealthy, Thorkel Moon, Odd Pauper Poet, Helgi the Cheat, Guthmund Lump, Thorod Half Poem, Thorgrim Greyhead, Eric Snare, Bercy the Godless, Thorarin Folesbrow, Skeggy the Shorthanded, Athun Chicken, Thorbjord the Stout, Ogman the Evil, Thorer Paunch, and sadly, no Thorbjorn Salmon Catcher. Oh, no. What about uh, Asgare Madcap? Uh, no. You're really letting me down. Oh. I Look, I got a hundred names and I can only cover a few. <laughs> okay. uh, nevertheless, I'm pleased with the final list, uh, which comes in at a, you know, eh, a little over a dozen names. Uh, I'll go through some highlights here, and we can put we'll put a full list of all the nicknames on the website. Sure, we will. Now, given that you just listed out twelve names, I would say you're cheating and kind of pushing it. To but I haven't explained them. Oh, and also those aren't those aren't actual candidates. Okay, okay so here all we right, go. Well, let's see what you got. All right. So first of all, Ofig Gretter. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The name Gretter is of interest for obvious reasons. 
So I thought we'd start with that one. Uh, in Gretter's case, it's an actual name, but we're talking about Gretter's great-grandfather's first father-in-law, who's probably the originator for our Gretter's name. Uh, his nickname is usually translated as something like the Grimacer, or as we said in our original discussion, Ophig Frowny Face. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but another possibility is that the name derives from skaldic poetry, where Gretter means serpent, uh, which might mean that Icelanders associated frowning with making a snake face. Really? That's interesting to me. Hmm. Uh, next, hmm. Kolbjorn the Skurrilus, or Snapis. The name Snapis is not auspicious, obviously, uh, and I think it's potentially even worse than the translation Skurrilus suggests. The possible translations of the word include outrageous, dishonorable, ignominious, and disgraceful. Interesting. You know, I had that one as uh, Kolbjorn, bringer of dishonor. There you go. That's, Which I that think makes, is a great nickname. Right, right. So, so far, Skrillis is not far off. Bringer of dishonor is a good nickname. Uh, but the verb snappier comes from a legal term for disgrace. Uh, its modern ter- its modern usage in Icelandic is something like to chastise someone. Hmm. Uh, but its original non-legal meaning is quite clearly to snip or to castrate. Interesting. So, hold on a second. Now, does that mean – because I, I took a bringer of dishonor as in it's a negative against him that he's the one that brings the dishonor. But mm-hmm. what you're suggesting is that it's quite the opposite. He's the one that points out other people's dishonor. That's Well, that's what I think is possible in this nickname, right? Not okay. that he points out their dishonor, but that he kind of dishonors other people, right? The, mm-hmm. the Old Norse legal term in which to snip or castrate becomes dis- to, to be dishonorable or to bring dishonor – it actually seems to mean something like the English idiom to cut someone's balls off. Pardon your French. So I'm delighted that this is a legal term. Uh, and it means something like Colbjorn the testicle cutter or more colloquially Colbjorn the ball buster is a possible translation. I like that a little bit better. Uh, so I like that one. Can, can I just say really quickly yeah. that someone in my house is cooking popcorn and it smells wonderful? <laughs> well, you should ask very politely for some. Is, is it a problem if I walk away from you talking about nicknames for a moment to get Oh, some? you weren't listening anyway, so that's fine. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, I'm going to go on to Eric the Ale Eager, or Olfus. I wonder uh, what that means. Yeah, we skipped over Eric, uh, who's just a supporting figure during the Onan Treefoot part of the saga. I mean, his name says it all, really. Right? Um, G.H. Height uh, suggested Eric the Beery, uh, and other <laughs> translations include Eric Ale Liker and Eric the Beer Drinker. Well, hold on. In my translation, he was mm-hmm. uh, he was Eric Tipler. Tipler. Ooh, very nice. Which I don't uh, even know what I, – I assume that means uh, he tips a glass. One a who likes to drink. Yeah, one who tipples. Yeah, that's uh, funny. So no matter which one you read, Eric's a bit of a drunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his only real role in the story is to throw a big bacchanal of a Yule party that ends with a drunken disagreement with a man named Halstein Horse. Of course so he, he would. So he seems to have been a guy who liked to share the booze around. Nice. Uh, uh, any any idea why uh, Halstein's name Halstein Horse? You're not going to draw me into this. I'm not wasting one of my names on him. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Olvir the Child Sparer. Uh, now, this nickname isn't so interesting for its translation as for the story behind it. Uh, Olvir is mentioned in Lanama book as a great Viking of Norway, and he gets his nickname because when raiding, quote, he wouldn't allow children to be tossed onto spear points as was the custom among other Vikings of the time. <laughs> wow. so, <laughs> I have to say, the bar for being considered a child advocate in this era is pretty low. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so Adrian Peterson would be in great shape. 
Right. Well, oh, oh, too soon. Too soon. How could I? Uh, on to Kari the Singed. Uh, Kari is only mentioned once and very briefly, but I thought it was worth noting that this is our first explicit reference to what is probably the single most famous event in the sagas, the mm. burning of Njal Thorgerson's farm in Njal's saga. Mm. Kari is the son-in-law of Njal, who's in the house when it's burned, and as his nickname suggests, not everyone in the house dies in the fire. Uh, also, unless I misremember things, I don't believe this nickname is ever mentioned in Njal's saga. Mm. And so now we're getting an independent report here about how yeah. the burning affected the lives of people in Iceland. I just really love the idea of someone who was in a house that was burning, being nicknamed the Singed. The Singed, yeah. What a horrible thing to carry around. <laughs> and not only that, but you know, a house where his father-in-law, his yeah. three brothers-in-law, his mother-in-law, and his son died. That's great. Well, good find. That was a, uh, I like that one. Uh, Thorgir Bottleback. This is why I really, really like the nickname section, I must say. Oh, you fraud. The things that I learned. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thorgir Bottleback. Now, this isn't so much a nominee for uh, an especially interesting name as uh, so much as for the way Thorgir gets the name. Yeah. Right? As we said, this comes about after a wine sack full of whey strapped to Thorgir's back is split open by an incompetent assassin. Mm-hmm. And to me, what makes this whole scenario is that, we said this during the su- summary, Thorgir's friends probably could have caught the assassin, but they were too busy laughing at Thorgir to do anything useful. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. They even come up with a verse about the attack later. In the old days, heroes would bathe shield biters like shimmering fish in a sea of blood flowing from wounds deep as sharp pointed roofs. Now, a weakling who never won renown far and wide has <laughs> smeared through his cowardice both sides of his axe with curdled way. Nice. Uh, and then, of course, Thorgir famously returns the axe to his assassin during the fight on the whale carcass. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Girmund Wobbler. Uh, Timber. This is, uh, this is one of those unfortunate names that ends up being even less clear once you look it up. Uh, so I'll just warn you in advance. I'm not sure about this one. Uh, the first part of Girmund's named, uh, name Hvika means shrinker, waverer, or quaker. Okay. So uh, the second coward. part, Timber, means timber. Yeah. Uh, so Scudder's translation of Wobbler, uh, kind of ignores the second part of the name entirely. Uh, Anthony yeah, Falk's like a transla- shaking tree, right? What's that? He's like a shaking tree. He's he's. Is that what your translation sturdy. says? No, no, I, I don't remember what I don't. Mm. I don't really, you know. Uh, well, Falk translates the name as swaying timber, right, which has more of a place name association and kind of evokes Gearman's Norway roots, where uh, woodland is, is plentiful. I see him on my list right there. There you go. Now that you mention it, uh, but the translation timber shaker or tree quaker is also supportable. And in my mind, is by far the most badass of the options. Uh, ultimately, since we don't know much about this guy, he's a great example of how important nicknames are, uh, but also of how difficult they can be to parse out if you don't know anything about the person that they apply to. Right, so this one could either be he's a coward because he shakes, or he shakes a spear at other people because right. he's a badass. Right, exactly. Well, that's a, you know, that's like it's, two... It's a wide range there. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of one of what I think is one of the most interesting nicknames, just as a nickname, Thorir the Autumn Darkness. Mm. Uh, Halstmirkus. Uh, this is one of those names that everyone sort of more or less agrees on. Thorir, in various translations, is called Autumn Darkness, Autumn Mist, Autumn Murk, and various other permutations of the same name. 
No one offers an explanation as to what the name might mean. Uh, the element host, which is always translated as autumn, actually means harvest time. So that much makes sense. Uh, he probably the, gets grumpy during harvest time. He's like, I don't, <laughs> well, don't want to go really? out there. So it's a, it's about his mood. Well, that's that covers that part of it. But the association with darkness and the shorter days that lead to the cold and harshness of a northern winter, to me, seems suggestive. Um, there's also a hint of paganism here. Since a number of pagan festivals were unsurprisingly associated with harvest time and the closing of the summer months. Okay. Uh, oh, we're on to one of your favorites, Thorstein Dromund. Ah, uh, yes. Now, I'm really interested by this one. Uh, Thorstein's name is Dromunder, right? which is usually translated as Galleon, uh, and is supposed to refer to his slow and deliberate movements, that he That's moves right. like a big-bellied ship. Which they only really reference when they first introduce him. He's got a right. great voice, so on and so forth, but he has slow movements. But certainly once he becomes a member of the Varangian Guard, hard to say that he would be a slow mover if he's able well, to but accomplish even, but, the deeds you know, that he does. Even in his journey down there, we do see a little bit of that in the methodical way that he hunts down Thorbjorn Hook. True. Right. Um, but Yeah, I see. So maybe not. he's like he's not like a tortoise or anything like that. He right. just takes his time in terms of making his uh, his move. Right, slow but unstoppable. I, oh, I uh, like it a lot. Uh, but, and I'm gonna, I think you're going to like this even better, Zwega offers the additional information that a Dromunder is a barge ship specifically associated with shipping in the Mediterranean. Oh, really? Now, given that Thorstein's slow and methodical pursuit of Hook takes him right into the Mediterranean and Byzantium, I'm going to suggest that his nickname right from the beginning includes a kind of foreshadowing of his eventual destiny. Yeah. Well, now now I'm starting to wonder, does this guy exist at all? Is he just an invention <laughs> of the author for that well, purpose? But it suggests that that nickname may actually be applied to him late in life. Yeah, right? yeah. Because very often we get these nicknames when someone's first introduced, but the nickname itself hasn't yet come about. Sure. Right? We'll be told that someone is named Tree Leg before they even lose their leg. Right. Uh, well, that's so it. I wouldn't be shocked case, yeah. if he's a, an authorial invention. Or that, yes. In which case, good right. on the author, because that's a, a very clever creation mm-hmm. with Absolutely. a good nickname. Uh, Thorhall the Vinlander is our next one. Uh, this is another figure who's only mentioned briefly in the saga, but I thought he was worth pointing out. Everyone you've mentioned has been only briefly mentioned in the Thorstein saga. Thorstein I For the most part, I say. Now, Thorhall is actually one of the survivors of Eric the Red saga. Uh, he's part of Thorfinn Karlsefni's crew, and in that saga, he's called Thorhall Gamlison. Mm-hmm. After Karlsefni's attempt to settle in Vinland failed, Thorhall returned to Iceland and settled there. His son, Gamli, actually marries Gretter's sister, Ronvig, and they have a son named Grim Gamlison, mm. who is one of Gretter's nephews. Uh, it's interesting that Thorhall is called Vinlander for the rest of his life, though. I think that's important, especially because a 15th century saga like Gretter picks this up, Right. This suggests that the memory of those voyages to the New World never really fell out of the oral memory of the island. Sure, sure. I have a couple observations. The first is, I enjoy how much you love the nicknames, and everyone else can tell because you start shouting during the nickname <laughs> section. So if there's any problem with the sound quality, and the you know, it's because he's shouting into his mic, and I have to make some weird adjustment after the fact. <laughs> What can I say? I'm a, I'm a man of passions. Yeah. Um, uh, the the second observation is mm-hmm. that that is an incredible effort to follow the path of that nickname. 
I mean, it, it takes a real saga mind. Uh, I think uh, Bob Hasenfratz used to call your you had the saga brain to follow that little. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, you're actually complimenting me for once. Yes, yes, I'm I'm complimenting you. That is your saga brain at work, making a very, very astute and interesting observation and connection between a couple different sagas. You did that with the Nyal saga, the the singed fellow, uh, as well. I mean, that does make the nickname section pop. I mean, that is good stuff. Well. Now, now allow me. Now that you've now that you've made me blush, allow me to bore the pants off you with Ulf the Squinter. Can I just ask? Are you are you close to being done? <laughs> I've got one, two, three, four, five more. I wish you would die. <laughs> Ulf the Squinter, also called Squint Eye, uh, his name in Old Norse is Skalga, uh, which can either mean oblique or askance in addition to squinty. I'm wondering whether Ulf has some other characteristic. Uh, he's not likely to be wall-eyed, because the modern English term wall-eyed, to describe someone with one or two eyes pointing away from one another, actually comes from an Old Norse word, but it's a different word. It's a nickname, Vagleger, uh, which with Vagel meaning beam, so beam-eyed. Uh, but various other eye conditions might be meant here. We shouldn't dismiss squinting in the sense of nearsighted, uh, since we have to assume people in the saga age would suffer from nearsightedness just as we do. Right. It's a pretty common characteristic anyway. There are actually two men named the Squinter in this saga. There's also a guy named Thorhall Squinter who's mentioned just briefly. Hmm. Uh, so after all that, you've concluded that he squints. Yes, he does. <laughs> well, thank you. But what's, come on. Vagadego is pretty interesting. Uh, Arnor the Hairy Nose. Uh, <laughs> Arnor's name, Hainuf, literally, literally means something like Hay Nose, uh, which suggests that Arnor's nose hair is not just thick, but al- almost thatched. Or at least sticking out in bristly tufts. Uh, Or, and this might be worse, it suggests that Arnor's nose is hairy on the outside. Like maybe he's got a tufted wart or something. Either way, not pleasant. Is it at all possible that uh, he has hay fever and when it's uh, harvest time or something like that, uh, when the hay is something something, he gets sneezy, his nose acts up. You know, that's interesting. I think that's actually probably more likely for a different guy in the saga named Sleithelgi, Sleithelgi who is usually regarded as having a runny nose. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love it. Uh, German Stiffbeard. There's actually several good beard nicknames in this saga. Thor Redbeard, Ophig Thinbeard, Thor Longchin are also in there. You're sneaking uh, in. But uh, I don't have anything to say about this apart from the fact that Stiffbeard is a great name. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, we can't, see, now this is the reason we have to go on with these things, because now we get to Ivar the Horsecock. Or Ivar Betel. Uh, Zwega kind of unhelpfully translate this, translates this as Ivar Fescue Grass, which I've never seen accepted as a translation anywhere. Me uh, neither. Cles- yeah, Klesby-Vigvason gives us horsetail, which is a kind of rough wild grass. So Zwega may not be so far off, although I don't know what reasoning brings us to a different kind of grass. Mm-hmm. But most translators have pushed for a translation in which horsetail is understood as a dirty joke. Right. Osgir Magnuson, Lois Bragg, Bernard Scudder, Jan de Vries have all translated the name as some variation of horse phallus, with Scudder going for broke with horsecock. <laughs> uh, Lois Bragg points out the name might be a joke linked to his son Ophid Clubfoot and his grandson Onan Treeleg and involve a kind of third leg illusion. Uh, and uh, as long as we're being highbrow with our names, let's get to Thord Nap, which means Thord the Stud or Thord the Knob. Uh, now these are obviously very different levels of cool for a nickname so it's a shame we can't know which one is meant here uh 
the sense seems to be a hard sticking out thing. And yes, I realize in the wake of someone like Ivar the Horsetail that that is an unfortunate description, but there is no clear sexual referent here. We don't know what the nap refers to. Okay. And finally, Thorbjorn Hook. Yes. Thorbjorn Ongel. Thorbjorn's name derives from the same Germanic root word as the angle in Anglo-Saxon, and that's because both angle and Saxon refer to edged weapons. The sax refers to a short sword, the type that Gretert prefers, actually. Uh, and angle refers to a sort of hooked weapon that was part sword, part axe, and part billhook. So the likeliest reason for the name is that Thorbjorn's preference for that weapon would be recognizable, and everyone would know that about him. The problem is that we're never told that he does use that sort of weapon, which opens up three other possibilities. One is that the hook refers to a bent or twisted personality, like Thorolf Twistfoot in Erbige Saga, and that's a real possibility. The second possibility is that hook is a reference to fishing. There's another nickname, Hongur, which also means hook, and it's usually understood as a reference to the hooked jaw of a salmon. So maybe Thorbjorn's a keen fisherman. But a third option that's been put forward is that it refers to something about Thorbjorn that's otherwise left unremarked, which is that he's missing a hand and has a hook hand. I'm not sure I buy that one, but it's interesting. Nope. If only because he ends up chopping off Gretter's hand as well. Uh, also, we already know Thorbjorn's missing an eye, and this would kind of complete his image as a villainous pirate. Uh, <laughs> Our... um, and of course, just to finish off the, so- the nickname section, I'll just mention Saddlehead the Horse. Now, there, there is one more nickname that's mentioned in the saga that I think you should mm-hmm. address. There's a, a gentleman named uh, Thorkel Krafla. Mm-hmm. Do you know what Krafla means? Um, no, I don't. Scratcher. scratcher. Yeah, Scratcher. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, the Scrofulous, I prefer. <laughs> Thorkel the Scrofulous. <laughs> no, I. Uh, what is the story behind Thorkel Scratcher? No, we've already covered him. Oh, so we covered him several episodes ago, and several times. Mm-hmm. No, I was just trying to extend the nickname section to thirty minutes if I could. Screw you. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, what I what I love about the nickname section was that um, uh, you did a, a wonderful job. And when I said uh, I trusted you and and was trying to avoid <laughs> a Vatnsdala saga situation, uh, you th- you really outdid yourself. <laughs> I think you went above and beyond what we did with uh, Vatnsdal. So congratulations. <laughs> now, that said, that said, uh, those of you who may have fallen asleep during that lengthy... Oh, uh, how dare you. <laughs> uh, a diatribe on nicknames. Uh, there was some really good scholarship in there. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that John at some point realizes that he needs to write a paper or God knows he could write a book on uh, the kind of nuances of Icelandic nicknames. I do write about Icelandic nicknames. You just don't bother to read what I write. Uh, you write about disabilities and nicknames. Um, well, there you go. Yeah, but you could do a whole paper on the, the, like I said, the nuances of Icelandic nicknames and the difficulty of determining what they mean. Mm. I think there's something really cool in there. Well, but for right now, what we need to determine is which of these nicknames we like the best. Well, if I'm going to be completely honest with you, I don't remember half of the ones that you said. Um, well, then out of the ones you remember. Uh, what was the, the, the fella named Singed? Kari the Singed. Kari the Singed. Uh, I will I will say Kari the Singed just because of the, the context of that one. Um, as much as I like the context of Thorhall the Winelander or the Vinlander, um, I don't think that's an interesting enough nickname. Um, Kari mm. the Singed or or I would say Thorgear Bottleback. 
Those are your two options. Those are my options. We're leaving Ivar and his uh, horse tail. Oh, you know what? Ivar they tail. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you referenced that. You know, uh-huh. I don't. That kind of thing doesn't stick in my mind like it does yours. Uh-huh. So, uh huh. So yeah, so those three, I think, for me. What do you think? Well, wow, that's uh that's tough. I mean, I, so the problem is I've always got a soft spot for these, you know, these little ones that don't really. Uh, mean a lot in the saga, you know. Sure. A, name, a name like Olvir the Child Sparer fascinates me. Mm-hmm. Um, Thor the Autumn Darkness is just fantastic. I don't know. I suppose we can give it to. Uh... Oh, we've got to give it to Ivar. Come on. Now. I think we do have to give it to Ivar. <laughs> I mean, I really want. I'm give sorry. It to... I can pretend to be highbrow as long as you want, but um, I know. Uh, in the end, we're, we're a pair of twelve-year-old boys. <laughs> I didn't even translate his nickname. I just have him listed as Ivar Betel. Well, there you go. But I think that's because my translation was too shy to put anything right. in there. Right. I think that's very likely, yes. All right. So uh, we'll wrap this up. We came in with nicknames under 30 minutes. So that's pretty impressive. <laughs> Notable, Notable witticisms. witticisms. Uh, so this category is likely to be a problem. Now, it's we say that for every category. No, 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 no. This one represents a special difficulty. One of Gritter's defining characteristics is that he's like an aphorism machine. Oh, that is true. He is. Uh, there isn't an occasion that Greta doesn't have a clever remark for. That's exactly right. Uh, I sometimes get the impression when I'm reading that uh, the author is deliberately using Greta as some kind of repository for a like a collection of folk wisdom and witty sayings that he's collected over the years. You think so? Yeah. Oh, or either that or he's just decided the saga would be funnier that way. <laughs> well, maybe a little from column A and a little from column B. Mm-hmm. Now, so do we have to make our way through all of Gretter's best lines, or or should we try to cover other pieces of the saga? I mean, we probably don't have time for both of these. What do we want to do? Well, I mean, we can probably give a collective honorable mention to pretty much everything Gretter says and move <laughs> on to right. the rest of the saga. Right? I mean, there's, um, there's Gretter's response when his father yells at him for killing the family's geese and threatens to give him a new job. The more you try, the more you learn. <laughs> Uh, then when Gretter's ripped the hide off his father's horse, his father mistakenly assumes the horse is hiding in the barn because of an impending storm. Well, I mean, that's a reasonable assumption. I mean, who assumes their son has skinned a living animal, especially your favorite animal? <laughs> uh, well, nevertheless, he's wrong. Uh, and Gretter's only response is to say mildly, uh, wisdom often falls short where it's most expected. Yeah. Well, I think his uh, his interactions with Thorfinn uh, Carson, mm-hmm. the guy whose farm and family he protects against a dozen berserks, uh, that one's worth mentioning. I mean, first, Gretter despoils the grave of Thorfinn's father, Carr, and when Thorfinn asks where Gretter's been, his response is to say, "Many little things come up at night." I don't know if that's going to work. <laughs> many, <laughs> many little things come up at night, he says, uh, and then he dumps the grave's goods he's robbed onto Thorfinn's dining table in front of everybody. <laughs> and then, when Gretter rescues his family through pretending to side with the, with the berserks who are going to kill them, and then killing those berserks. He doesn't bother cluing the family into what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So at first they curse him as a traitor. But once they realize what he's doing, they praise him. And Gretter just grumpily says, I think I'm the same person you were heaping abuse on earlier this evening. <laughs> he, he has a little uh, checklist, a little catalog of everything yep. that's ever happened. <laughs> yeah. Well, he doesn't let up even when Thorfinn gratefully offers him unlimited hospitality and thanks for his help. Thanks, Gretter says. And I'd have accepted your offer earlier, too. 
<laughs> As we said, Gritter's wry responses seem to be almost a way of registering his mystification about how other people react to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my favorite moments of his are when he's just deflating everyone and everything around him. Uh, remember when Thorbjorg the Stout comes home to find Gretter tied up in her house after her men captured him? Ah, yes, that's right. She she asks him, uh, And what drove you to come here and make trouble for my thingmen, Gretir? And his response is, Well, you can't plan for everything. Uh, I had to be somewhere. <laughs> He's right, you know. <laughs> but we can do this all day. If people want to get a full accounting of Gretter's one-liners, well, they're probably big enough saga heads to have read the entire thing already anyway, so they already know. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you say that we move on to our actual nominations? Be my guest. Okay, so my first nominee is the poem that I mentioned earlier, Onan Treefoot's poem to Vigbjolf as Vigbjolf's dying. You're stealing Onan? Oh, yes, I am. Now, <laughs> all right then, but I'll have my revenge. Oh, will you? So uh, this is the verse that Onan speaks to mock the dying Vigbjolf after chopping his arm off in single combat. Now, if you remember, uh, Vigbjolf had a laugh at the idea of one-legged Onan going into battle. And so at this moment, Onan stands over Vigbjolf in victory and makes this spiteful verse. See if your wounds bleed. Did you see me flinch? You did not deal a scratch to me, the one-legged dealer of riches. Many breakers of battle axes are more brag than brains. This man was not generous with his strength when challenged. I mean, there's so much to like there. And it's such a brutal thing to hear as you're dying as this man (laughs) towering over you. Yeah, I like the bitterness of that verse. Yeah. Uh, And as I said during the summary, I think there's a lot of self-hatred in Onan's poetry. Mm -hmm. It's just part of what makes him an intriguing character for me. Right. And if if you don't mind, I got another quick one. Uh, and this is Gretter's mother's disgust with both her son and her husband. Uh, <laughs> after Gretter's father, Asmund, storms into the house complaining about Gretter brutalizing his beloved horse, Kengala, Asda shuts him down by saying, I don't know which I object to more, that you keep giving him these jobs or that he does them all the same way. That poor woman. <laughs> I know. Uh, i, I got to back things up for a second because you skipped one of my favorite lines in the entire saga. Really? What did I miss? Uh, so, Th- Gretter's great uncle Thorgir survives an assassination attempt when an incompetent killer named Thorfinn tries to kill him. I think you know where I'm going now. Mm-hmm. Right? Thorfinn only manages to bury his axe in a leather canteen on Thorgir's back. Yep, that's the one. Yep. So, sometime later, Thorgir and his brothers attack Thorfinn's boss, Flosi, over the, the, the rights to that whale carcass. And mm-hmm. we talked about this. This is our winner from Best Bloodshed. But in the middle of this glorious brawl, Thorger climbs up onto the whale's tail and runs along its back until he gets to the head, where Thorfinn is flensing blubber from the whale. And as Thorfinn looks up, Thorger unleashes a huge swing, shouting, Here! I'm returning your axe! And whacks Thorfinn's head clean off. It's epic. It's everything about that whale fight. It's just great fun. But I I do have one question. Mm -hmm. In all that chaos, in all that fighting, why is Thorfinn mm-hmm. still flensing blubber from the whale? Why doesn't he realize that there's a battle going on around him? Maybe he's incompetent at everything. It seems to be. Maybe the assassination was just part and parcel of how he does everything. <laughs> um, so what have you got next? Well, this is another quick one. i got to nominate Otley Osmundson, who is easy mm-hmm. to forget, and we kind of went through him very, very quickly. But he's one of mm-hmm. Gretchen's brothers. And I want to nominate him for his response to being run through with a spear by Thorbjorn Oxenmite. Another Thor- person who went through him fairly quickly. <laughs> That's very clever. Thor- You're quite the Gretir yourself. 
Now, Thorbjorn tricks Otley into coming to the door on a rainy day, and when he does, Thorbjorn leaps out in front of him and plunges his spear through Otley's stomach. Otley has time to look down and comment. These broad spears are quite the fashion these days, he says before <laughs> falling dead. That's a great line. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, well, we said before that there's a great tradition of making a calm last observation before dying in the sagas, and this is a great one. This is this is a good one. I like to think that he's trying for a casual tone here. Like he's almost like he's admiring his neighbor's new pruning shears. Pruning shears? What? <laughs> sure. All right, I've got to rewind a bit again. You keep jumping ahead. Okay, what do we skip this time? It's just a throwaway line in the narration. Mm-hmm. Uh, once in a while, you get a saga that offers a certain kind of dry humor in the narrative voice. Oh, yeah. Gretter's saga definitely has that. Like with the cows, uh, yeah. you said yes. uh, he didn't care for that very much. Right. So I wanted to make sure that we represented that voice here. Uh, when Gretter's just starting off in the world, after already having killed his first man and received his first sentence of outlawry, he gets a sword from his mother, and he thanks her by saying that he likes the sword better than if it had been something valuable. Which is unbelievable. <laughs> Wait a minute, hang on. It's important to point out, too, that uh-huh. this sword that he's being all snotty about is the legendary sword Atartangi, the mm-hmm. sword of the Vatensdal chieftains. That's right. Uh, and Gretter acts like he's just been handed a pocket knife. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's no because of that personality and his obvious tendency to kill people that the narrator's comment on Gretter's journey is to say that many people wished Gretter a safe journey, but few a safe return. Which is a nice line. It is. But but seriously, dissing Adertangi, not cool, Gret here. Don't do that. Well, he's going to end up with his short sword later, which I guess is more his style. Yeah. Now, is that a phallic joke? Ooh. ooh, ooh, ooh. (laughs) No, uh, it wasn't meant to be, but I guess it's as good a segue (laughs) as any. Do you want to talk about Gretter's other short sword? (laughs) Yes, I do. I think about it all the time. Now, I'm sure everyone (laughs) here remembers that one, uh, so we're going to keep it short. Uh, you're still you're still making wee puns. <laughs> so are you. Oh, we're so <laughs> pathetic. But the point is, so is the servant woman at Rick here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when when she and the farmer's daughter find Gretir asleep and naked in a room of the house, the servant woman can't help notice Gretir's uh, how should I put this? His his shortcomings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but it turns out that Gretir's awake and he hears her little jokes. Yeah, and he's slightly annoyed. Why um, wouldn't he? But. Be? I suppose it's not surprising they'd be a little short with her. Oh, can we please stop? Uh, maybe. We'll see if anything more arises. <laughs> it's just terrible. <laughs> Why do people listen to this podcast when you do things like that? Anyway, Gretchen responds with a couple of verses in defense of his uh, his problem. Mm-hmm. Few invokers of spear storms have much choice about the sword that adorns their hair forest. I bet my bollocks are twice the size that other spear thrusters boast, even if their shafts can outstretch mine. <laughs> I can't even read that. That's such a silly poem. Now, the second verse is even more crude. Oh, dear. The seamstress sitting at home, short-sorted, she calls me. Maybe the boastful handmaiden of ball trunks is telling the truth. But a young man like me can expect sprouts to grow. In the groin forest. Get ready for action, splay-legged goddess. You know, your version of Gretter's voice really just brings home to me how much he is Rorschach from The Watchmen. <laughs> uh, that, that, that set of verses really is just as much fun the second time around. It I mean, is. I've been, I've been reading this saga for years, and those verses still crack me up. Splay-legged uh, goddess is one of the best oh descriptions ever. 
You know, incidentally, it's only in more recent translations that these verses even appear in the saga. Yeah. Well, that's the problem with a lot of early editions of medieval literature, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, the 1914 height edition just flat out refuses to include the poems. Really? His version just says, Gretter spoke a verse and then goes right into, soon afterwards, Gretter went to the farmer Thorvald. Wow. How Protestant of them. They just (laughs) pretend the whole episode doesn't exist as if there's like some kind of lacuna in the manuscript. Oh, yeah, yeah. He just yada, yada, yada is the entire poem and sex sequence. Oh. Baldur's texts are so odd. Admittedly, that is a little ridiculous, but that might actually be preferable to the treatment Morris and Magnuson gave it in 1900. You know, they tacitly acknowledge the sex, but Greta's verses are replaced by a cheesy kind of PG version uh, that replaces short sorted with tired and <laughs> handmaiden of ball trunks, which is such a good line. Mm-hmm. With uh, something like light-handed delight, which is not a good thing. <laughs> I actually think in this context, light-handed delight might be even <laughs> dirtier. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Only if you're really sick. But, you know, we'll imitate our Victorian predecessors and we'll draw a demure curtain over the scene. Mm. <laughs> now, do we have any more candidates or do we just want to award it to Gretchen right now? <laughs> well, I've got a couple more I don't think we should neglect. Okay. Uh, I'm a fan of Gretter's meeting with Gisli the Braggart. Uh, this is the guy who ends up on the receiving end of Iceland's first wedgie when he gets stripped to his underwear and then beaten black and blue by Gretter. Yeah. And like, can I be fair? It wasn't really a wedgie. I mean, we no, no, overstated no, no. that quite but a bit. Yes, yes. We enjoy ourselves. It was fun at uh, the time, though. Right. Now, but Gretter makes a verse about their encounter, uh, which ends with the half poem, From me that day at Mirror, interfering Gisli ran, farting like a cart horse, stripped of fame and honor. And as you pointed out, stripped of pants as well. That's right. There, there's something awful about the specificity of that poem. I mean, why a cart horse? <laughs> um, well, I'm assuming that cart horses didn't get as much grazing time as wild horses. I wonder if uh, eating stored and dried grain and hay rather than fresh grass has anything to do with it. Wasn't there Wasn't there an episode of uh, Seinfeld where uh, Kramer is yes. – uh, he's a hand uh, – what did he call those cabs? Those, um, yes, uh, handsome cabs. Handsome yeah. cab driver. And he feeds the horse beans. Mm-hmm. Something very similar yes. to that. <laughs> anyway, any uh, horse lovers out there, please let us know if there's something about a cart horse's diet that would make it particularly unpleasant. Is he just feeding him beans or what's going on here? Hey, uh, aside here, the horse lover got brought to mind. Do you know that the name Philip comes from a Greek word for horse lover? <laughs> here you go with names again. <laughs> and a, a little something for any Phillips in our audience? Yeah. Uh, so I think yeah. we've each got time for one more quick one. Uh, sure it's killing me to leave some of the other good choices out. But I have to include Gretter's response to finding out that Thorbjorn Hook is now the owner of Drangi, the island refuge where Gretter has been living and eating all the sheep. Uh, when he learns this, Gretter says... You've confirmed my resolution never to leave here by telling me you own the island. It's fitting we share the scurvy grass here, because neither of us is exactly smothered by popularity. Which is pretty good. And it's only one of the one-liners that Greta gets off at Thorbjorn's expense. Uh, so what's your last one? Well, I'm sure you can guess. I'm I'm taking us near to the end of the saga, which is it's it's rapidly evolved into my favorite part of the saga. When Thorstein Drummond has hunted down and killed Thorbjorn Hook, and he's now languishing in a Constantinople dungeon, he passes the time singing to an old man he's been locked up with, and eventually the wealthy socialite Space decides to buy his freedom after hearing his beautiful singing voice. It's such a lovely voice. 
Hmm. Thorstein, who doesn't seem to know when to leave things alone, insists that he's not leaving unless Space buys the old man's freedom as well. Space responds quite reasonably, saying, I think you're a better bargain than he is. (laughs) (laughs) But then she gives in, buys both men's freedom, and the saga kind of veers off into the weird romance directions that we talked about last time uh, for the remainder of its length. Right. And the old man wanders off without so much as a thank you, if I recall correctly. Yeah, well, he may not have been the nicest guy alive. Uh, He was in prison, after all. But there might have been a good reason why. Fair enough. Uh, Okay, so those are our options. Uh, What do you think? Who wins? I think there's no reason to debate this. It's Gretir and his (laughs) penis poems. We're we're ending up with an awfully dirty set of uh, awards this time out. (laughs) I just don't know how you avoid it with Gretir's saga. Right, it's such a, you know, it's got a lot of dirty, fun stuff in it. And Mm -hmm. who are we to say no to that? That's right. We're very modern, liberal gentlemen. We're not... uh, Shy about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Gretter, come on up here and accept your little award. Mm, thank you very much. <laughs> oh, glory. So, in this section, we are going to choose one of the villains of the saga and banish them forever from the island. Mm-hmm. And boy, is there a rogues Don't gallery? Don't you say in the rogues gallery. You, every saga, you say rogues gallery. And in fact, in this saga, there isn't a rogues gallery. There's hardly anyone worth I considering. I was not aware of that. Oh, dear. No, I don't think that's oh, true at all. Insane. Okay, look. I have a list of, let's see here, eight people, all right? And I'm going that's, that's a pretty I'm good going list. to dismiss out of hand Thorbjorn, Laxa, and Flosi because I don't even remember what's so bad about them. So they can't be that bad. What? <laughs> You should really well, read more I know Flosi from uh, uh, you know what we just did. Flosi is the guy that right. uh, you know gave trouble to the Onundersons mm-hmm. and uh, was you know part right. of the the whale flinting battle. I don't really care. We got worse people than that. That's now, fine. Yep. Glaum, which one? Glaum the uh, the undead or Glaum the oh, servant? Well, okay. Well, okay. Now when you put it like that, I'm gonna have. To, I guess we'll eliminate Glaum because we're not gonna outlaw an undead person, are we? Right, well, and also, um, uh, yeah, we could, suppose we could talk about Glaum, you know, when he was alive. Right, but Glaum, not. when he was alive, didn't really do anything bad. He just didn't, didn't right. oh, he wanted his breakfast didn't, that, that right. Christmas didn't go to morning. Church. Or, didn't want to fast. Yeah, what an what a evil uh, fellow. That's that's not really uh, an outlaw. Yeah, and unless we're, like, in the world of Erbiga Saga, we don't take our undead to trial. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so then... Uh, but what about Glaum the Servant? Now, there's someone who... Uh, betrays his master. Yeah. Uh, he is directly responsible for Gretter's enemies getting on to Dronny. Yeah, yeah, he's on my list. Uh, I, I don't know if he's, mm-hmm. if I would say he betrays his master in the sense that, you know, where you would want to outlaw him for, for example, for like going and finding out and, and actually betraying his master. He just kind of mm-hmm. clumsily and stupidly fails to do his job, which is a little bit right. different, which I know that's kind of a Narvi-esque kind of thing to do. But, uh, but yeah, not not the kind of thing I want to send the guy off the island forever for. We got worse people, right? Now, I think I think ultimately Glom lacks the the kind of malevolence yeah, he's just a, of a nar- even of a narfi. He's just he's just terrible. What about a Thorbjorn Oxenmite? Now there's somebody. I mean, here we have a guy who actually kills one of the Ismundersons. Yeah. Right? He kills Gretter's older brother That's Otley, right. and he goes around just um, trying to kind of cause trouble for Gretter mm-hmm. while Gretter's in Norway. It's a huge. Huge problem for Gretchen, what Thorbjorn Oxenmite's doing. Right. No, I think I think Thorbjorn is a distinct candidate. We have to leave yeah. him on the list. He, he, uh, he uh, uh, makes some uh, – what does he make? 
He makes poems about uh, Gretchen's father dying when it, Gretchen's father, right. in fact, is not dead. Makes fun of him. Right. Um, he gets what's what's coming to him when Gretchen kills him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's a good candidate. I think one of the one of the problems with him is that he's just not. Uh, he doesn't prove to be enough of a foe. That once Greta goes after him, he goes down oh, exactly, pretty which is something I complained about in episode three. That right. Thorbjorn Oxamite right. is just there for a minute, and he's really the guy that right. should have been built up as Gretchen's opponent, but he's dismissed very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've also got uh, the Berserks, Ogman the Evil, and Thor okay. Paunch, the uh, the brothers who lead that group of Berserks against the farm of uh, Thor Finn Carson. Those guys are extremely bad, but, John, I don't know if you remember this, but that's in Norway. They're not in Iceland. It's true. It's true. They according are to our outlawry uh, rules, we don't outlaw mm-hmm. people in Norway. Right. They are not subject to Icelandic law and therefore we can Which cannot is kind work. of weird, but uh that's the rule we came well, up with. Well, there you with. go. Um what about uh Thorbjorn, Thorbjorn Hook? Thorbjorn Hook is an excellent candidate. Although I well, I'm I conflicted so. about him because what does he really do? He he's guilty of wanting Gretcher to get off an island that Gretcher has kind of squatted on. I'm sorry. Um I'm going to remind you of the 0.5 in our body count. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Um, Thorbjorn Hook, responsible for murdering his own pregnant stepmother. Well, that's a very good point. That's hard to forgive. Uh, also, uh, recruits a witch to help him kill Gretir. Did he recruit Uses the witch black, or did the, black the witch magic. Kind of invite herself no, no, he, on, he re- onto that situation? He, well, which means way, we should, he's in charge we should probably expedition. consider Thurid the witch, right? Oh, absolutely we should. But uh, right now we're talking about Thorbjorn. Thorbjorn. Uh, He he is actually outlawed for what he did to Gretir. And in fact, remember that his his crime is considered so heinous that because of him, the lace-faire attitude of Icelandic law about paganism is finally revoked. And only at that point does the use of uh, black magic, the use of Mm -hmm. pagan magic – become illegal in but what's interesting about that one is that it wasn't illegal at the time they made it kind of retroactively illegal right right but that's that's how heinous he was right that iceland had allowed people who were pagan to quietly continue practicing their religion until thorbjorn pushes it this far at which point they have to outlaw the practice of pagan but again you could argue who who pushes it too far is it thorbjorn or thurid because she's the one that really pushes the whole time well, but it's Thorbjorn who's held responsible for it. That is true, it. but, you know, who, how are you going to hold the old third responsible? Besides, she gets her leg cracked <laughs> open for it. Yeah, she deserved that. Okay, so so our real candidates so far are Thorbjorn Oxenmite, Thorbjorn Hook, and Thurid the Witch. Mm-hmm. What about um? What? one more candidate? Yeah, I think there is one more very strong candidate One more out potential outlaw if I if I may, uh-huh. one one more, in fact, uh, world famous. Yeah, well, I mean, what about Gretir? Yeah, you know, uh, we have to talk about it. One of our uh, our, our listeners, uh, Matt Firth, he uh, mm-hmm. he wrote to us trying to warn us against choosing Gretir as a thingman. He said, uh, mm-hmm. "I hope you guys realize that Gretir is a violent and erratic criminal <laughs> and a terrible choice for thingman," <laughs> which sounds to me like he wants him to be outlawed. Um, well, and I think there's a real case yeah. to be made. I mean, you know, we said no one – we have not yet seen a figure in any of the sagas we've read responsible for more killings mm-hmm. than Gretchen. But one argument in Gretchen's favor would be that almost all the killings that Gretchen does are, are kind of justified. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, on the other hand, uh, Gretter is also outlawed multiple times in the saga. <laughs> yes. Um, and spends at one point 19 years as an outlaw in right. Iceland. And while an outlaw isn't exactly the nicest Flouting fellow the around. Correct. Uh, has to move from place to place as he wears out his welcome in each region of the That's island. That's right, but really goes on a kind of, uh, a kind of, uh, tour of Iceland. Getting kicked uh, out of he, each place. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, meeting all the famous figures from all mm-hmm. the sagas as he, annoys them one by one into asking you right. to leave. That said, he is a good monster killer. He's kind of necessary. He serves a function. Well right. It's the uh right it's that old it's that old Beowulf yeah. problem, right? You've you've got one of these guys around. They're really handy if you have a monster yeah. that needs killing. But then the problem is you have to deal with them. But the rest and, you know, of the he's time. hardly Gizli. You know, Gizli's an outlaw who is unfortunately an outlaw, kind of unjustly an outlaw. Um mm-hmm. and while he's an outlaw he maintains a kind of nobleman status Whereas Grettir, throughout the saga, maintains the same kind of Uh curmudgeonly, awful, terrible attitude that lands him in outlawry in the first place. Right. Now, but of course, as I've said during the summary sections, I tend to read Grettir as being um, sort of a a victim of uh, an unlucky fate. Sure. Uh, that, That fortune, fate, and luck are all against him. And his sheer bloody mindedness is what allows him to not only live but to thrive for as long as he Do you know what else is against him? His Mm -hmm. bad attitude and horrible character. But as we've said before, are those the result of his luck and fortune or are they the cause of it? I tend to read them as being the result of his poor fortune. His poor fortune is getting into bad situations. The way he deals with them is his own fault. Oh, yeah, you can't argue with that. So you just say, oh, thanks. <laughs> but we have to, I think we have to go back to someone like Thorbjorn Hook. Yeah. Right. Um, now, Thorbjorn Oxenmite, I'm just not that impressed with. Yeah, he's not terribly um, impressive. You know, in another saga, he might be well, worth I, outlawing. But in this saga, we have better choices. The thing that appeals to me about Thorbjorn Oxenmite is that he is the troublemaking individual. He's, whereas Thorbjorn Hook kind of just uses witchcraft to, to weaken an opponent, Thorbjorn Oxenmite mm-hmm. is actually going around talking to people Building a bad reputation for Gretir, killing his brother, doing all kinds of terrible things. But he's mm-hmm. just not given enough screen time to really matter. Hmm. Fair enough. So I suppose at this point it comes down to Thorbjorn Hook or to be ridiculous, Gretir. I don't think it's ridiculous to think about outlawing Gretir. But Thorbjorn Hook is just a dastardly stepmother killing. He really is. Fetus aborting. I'm not going to say fetus aborting. <laughs> <laughs> stepmother killing weasel he's a weasel yeah yeah no he's he's the kind of guy that we love outlawing yeah. around here right just somebody with no redeeming features whatsoever so somehow Gretir's not getting outlawed yeah which means we might be saving him for another purpose because there's somebody else worse i think thorbjorn hook's gotta go all right well thorbjorn hook enjoy your trip to constantinople big man all right, so this is the Thingman section. Each of us will now be able to choose someone from the saga to join us, join our growing band of illustrious Thingmen. Um, unfortunately for me, Andy uh, won the coin toss this time out, and so he's going to have the first choice. Yes, uh, I did win this one, and I was very happy to win this one. Um, one of the things that John and I do is we, we uh, flip the coin, and then we have to decide whether we're going to defer or not. 
And the decision to defer is a very important strategic maneuver that one can make. And in this case, given the fact that we're doing the 14-page Greenlander saga next time, (laughs) I have elected to defer so that I get best choice of Greenlander saga. Which means John gets to choose first this time. Now, my rationale for that is I have a list of about four guys in this saga that are Mm -hmm. pretty great. And I would be happy with any one of them as my thingman. Mm -hmm. So I might be giving up a better character in this particular saga. But it is with the hopes of getting a really weak character from Greenland Saga (laughs) to compare to this one. Wait a minute. That is is genius. What did I do here? genius strategy right there. Oh, maybe I didn't make a good decision here. But go ahead. You choose first. (laughs) All right. Um, So I think I've got the same list of four guys that you do. Um, Okay. Uh, our, at least I think, our options for Thingmen are uh, Own and Treeleg. Yes. And then uh, his great-grandchildren, uh, Greta Esmunderson, Ilugi Esmunderson, and Thorstein Dromund. Yes. Uh, now, Own and Treeleg, of course, is a, a personal favorite. Right? I've, I've written about him professionally. I, um, I really enjoy teaching about him. I really enjoy just kind of investigating him and his personality and thinking about him. Uh, he's a He's a character that really kind of means a lot uh, to me personally as a reader of the sagas. Um, Greta Asmunderson is Greta Asmunderson. I mean, he's one of the greats. He's one of the fascinating figures of the sagas. One of the most complex personalities, I think, and one of the most human personalities you'll find all throughout saga literature. Uh, we said a number of times, you know, that that in some ways this saga writer is kind of just, you know, he's he's standing at the mountaintop of saga writing. It's a, he, everyone else has written their sagas. And now here he is kind of filtering all that through. And Greta is kind of his mouthpiece for doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, just so you know, Matt Firth, who uh, had given us that comment about um, Greta being a terrible choice for Thingman. Mm-hmm. He, he did say uh, about you specifically, he wonders how you will balance your lust for both Onund and Greta. <laughs> well, that's going to be a real problem. Yes. Uh, I will briefly say that Thorstein Dromund is also an intriguing figure. Um, he is. Uh, he's, I mean, you know, if, if Gretter is, if Onund and Gretter are kind of examples of, you know, what the family sagas can produce at their height, right? These very complicated figures, these very human emotions dealing with a very realistic world, Thorstein Dromund kind of points us toward the next era in uh, Icelandic literature. Sure. Right. This uh, this greater interaction with continental romances, this greater interaction with the literature of the rest of Europe, uh, an interaction that had been going on for centuries, but that is going to come to dominate the discourse, the literary discourse in Iceland more and more. Mm-hmm. And Thorstein is kind of, you know, one of our early figures that points us in the direction of where that's going to go. That's right. And, and just in case anyone's confused why we would consider Thorstein Drummond and you're a really good saga reader and you paid attention and you realize that Thorstein Drummond actually never gets to Iceland. We mm-hmm. only made a rule about characters getting outlawed who had right. to be in Iceland. Right, because they're subject to Icelandic laws to be outlawed. Correct. Right. But For whatever man. reason, we've never made a rule mm-hmm. about Thingmen. Yep. Other than That's they can't be true. like kings and, and things like that. And, of course, as we know, there's a grand tradition of Norwegian companions as Thingmen in the sagas, right? Everybody's got to have a Norwegian around to get killed uh, in the battle. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, of course, I'll just say, even though I'm not going to choose him, Elugi as Munderson, we have to at least tip a hat to him for his his defense of his brother, 
for his stern, warriorly mane in the face of his enemies, uh, for even when at knife point saying that if he's allowed to live, he's going to make a point of hunting Thorbjorn Hook down with, the, with every breath that he has. Right. Uh, good for you, Alugi. Now, um, I, I know you chose Gisli's wife. Would you ever consider uh, Space? Uh, no, and strictly because, uh, you know, I'm not going to choose Thorstein Dromund either. Uh-huh. Uh, right? It's they're part of a different world for me than the family sagas. Okay. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that world, but it's a different literature. It's a different tradition. And it's just not a tradition that um, for me, for choosing a thing, man, is going to be that compelling. Gotcha. Uh, so neither one of them. She is a uh, very uh, interesting woman and she's mm-hmm. uh, quite capable I mean, she reminds me of Gisli's wife, uh, one of your thingmen. Yep. In terms of her, daughter, yeah. her personal individual strength. And uh, mm-hmm. she kind of drives the narrative, which she takes over the narrative in a way um, that even Gisli's wife doesn't. So I, I was right. curious whether you were interested in her or not. I just don't think I could I could choose a thingman who ends up being an anchorite. Mm. It's a, it's a it real, is a bit of a downer. <laughs> it's a real problem for me. Thingman wise, like, yeah, you call uh, her to court, and she's like, "I'm busy. Right. I can't even open the door. There's no, there's no door right. here." That's not really going to add a lot to the parties at my meat hall. <laughs> uh, so for me, it comes down to Onan and Gretter. Okay. Uh, ultimately, it's you know, for me, they're two sides of the same coin. They're these uh, deeply kind of uh, uh, troubled men uh, whose poetry betrays a kind of internal struggle. Sure. Um, in Onan's case, it's the struggle that he never fully resolves of how to come to grips with his uh, disabled body. In Gretter's case, it's, as we said, the sense that he's a man out of time, right? that he he is living the life of a ninth century Icelander in the 11th century in a country that no longer has a place for a man like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do I want to look at the ninth century warrior who kind of looks ahead and finds a way through the end of his life to become a lawful, law-abiding man of the community, as Onan does. We're going to look, want to look at a man like Greta Esmundersen, who insists on being the kind of quintessential Icelander, the quintessential independent figure in a country that privileges the independent figure, uh, but does so at the price of a kind of a place in society for himself. So what are you going to choose? Um... You know what? In the end, uh, I I have a, such a warm spot for Onan. I love him so much. I really hope he comes by to visit. Uh, but Greta and I are going to have to uh, have to spend some time together. Um, really? I am fascinated. I Over the course of talking about this saga for so long, uh, Greta is a fascinating figure. He's a figure that I think, unlike most of the saga figures, you can read him over and over again and still feel like there's there are facets to his personality you don't fully understand. There are parts of the way he acts towards other people that some scholars will say seem arbitrary. Other scholars will say seem human. Um, he's as a literary kind of construction. He's a fascinating figure. Interesting. Uh, and uh, I'm reasonably confident that no party with Greta Munderson around is going to be dull. Well, because most of the other people end up dead. No, 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 no. I not think the saga not my that out. Not with Snorri Gothi around. Remember that that a lot of uh, my thingmen, Snorri Gothi, uh, Thorstein Kugason, Ilugi, uh, oh, sorry, uh, 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 Scoffy Law Speaker. Mm-hmm. Right? These are all my thingmen, and they're all working to support Greater over the course of his life. That's right. 
so that many of my Thingmen are actually quite friendly with Gretor already and will welcome him with open arms and a well-armored chest. <laughs> I hope they have got a well-armored <laughs> chest. Well, that, that's fascinating. I'm not shocked that you took Gretir mm. based on our, you know, conversation. I am a little bit, honestly. Oh, I am. <laughs> I, I am surprised just because of the Onan love that you've, yeah. you've got. Um, and I, I understand the Onan love. Well, I, I really Bye. appreciate that you chose Gretir, and I had hoped that you would because I think he's an awful thingman. Oh and no! I am hoping that most of my that's my, terrible. I'm hoping that most of our listeners agree with me. No. Gretir is a troublesome personality. He's an interesting individual, but not the kind of guy you want in your group simply because he doesn't take orders, he doesn't listen, he does what he it's not wants. True. That's not good thingman material. But he is he is a loyal friend to those who deserve his friendship. He never he never once betrays a friend anywhere in this saga. Becoming Gretter's friend is a very difficult task, and the second you ask him to do anything, he has proven time and again that he's more likely to ruin the party. Well, as uh, your thingman, Bjorn, champion of the Hidadar people, discovered, sometimes all you need is to allow Gretter to be nearby and to let your enemies break their teeth on him. Now, that's just because Bjorn is brilliant and he knows how to manipulate a fool well, like Gretter. Well, I, uh, I feel quite confident <laughs> <laughs> that you've just complimented me rather severely by uh, suggesting that I am also a brilliant Master of Thingman. That is not at all what I said. I said Bjorn was brilliant. I said anyway. Why don't you stop stalling and tell us who you're taking? Well, I had really when I read this saga the first time, I really wanted to take Goodman the the powerful or Goodman the good. Mm. Um, but he's only in two chapters, so I couldn't really yeah. get away with that based yeah. on our, our previous conversations about uh, what's appropriate and what's not. <laughs> All right, so the, the debate for me comes down to Onund and Thorstein mm-hmm. Drolmund. I love Thorstein Drolmund. I think he's an amazing character. Um, the fact that he goes down to Constantinople to avenge his brother is admirable. The fact that he becomes mm-hmm. a an elite member of the Varangian Guard is impressive, incredibly impressive. But mm-hmm. Onund's tree foot or tree leg or wood leg or however you want to call him, if you read the saga and you pay attention to what he accomplishes yep. and who he is and the depth of his character and the kind of man that he mm-hmm. is, there's really no question. If I had gone first, I would have chosen Onan's tree foot anyways. So I'm glad that you chose mm-hmm. Gretir. I wouldn't want him anywhere near my <laughs> thingman. But Onan is the kind of guy I can work mm-hmm. with. Onan is made of steel. He's the kind of guy that can go into battle not only through his wit and wisdom and win it, but also through his strength. Mm-hmm. Strength of character, strength of body. Onand is a true winner, and uh, and I'm proud to call him one of my. Wow, women. this worked out beautifully. I think I think it worked out well for both of us. I'm uh, I'm reasonably pleased. I think you've yeah. got yourself a very good thingman. Uh, I do. And if you uh, you know if you ever get uh, you know tired of him, feel free to send him over for a visit. Well, he's going to want to visit. Sure, you know? fair enough. But. Uh, <laughs> But that said, you know, I understand the uh, the attractiveness of Gretir I really, and the appeal of him. But I think you have to be in exactly the right moment, exactly the right mm-hmm. time for him to work. And that that's there's a little bit too many too many variables there. You know for what? Me. I just allowed my Thingman to speak. Um, and you know, throughout this saga, my Thingman showed up over and over again as his friends and supporters. Um, and it became obvious to me that he had a place among my men. Hmm. Well, I can always call Third the Witch to kind of. <laughs> <laughs> solve any problems that we have. Well then. So, all right, let's move on to our our final Very section. Good. 
Final Rating. All right, this is our opportunity to give our final thoughts on the saga. It, it has uh, rapidly become actually my favorite part because uh, I get to wax poetic about it. But before <laughs> I uh, stumble all over my words uh, and my thoughts about this saga, I'll let uh, John, why don't you go first? Okay. Uh, well, for me, there's no question this is one of the classic sagas. Um, I'm not sorry we spent as long on it as we did, although I'm also not sorry to be coming to the conclusion. Uh, it's a measure of how rich this one is that we spent almost six hours talking about it, not including the judgment nonsense. Mm-hmm. And my overwhelming sense is that there's too much we left out. Uh, I want to spend more time on Onan Treeleg. I want to solve the riddles of Thorstein's poems and Greta's personality problems, frankly. Uh, I really want to do an entire episode about that weird subplot involving Stein, the KG priest who recognizes Greta's description, Stein's randy son, Kjartan, Steinvoy the farmer widow, and her son, Skeggy Gretison. But ultimately, the inexhaustible richness of Greta's saga is the point. It's a kind of capstone to an age of saga writing. Yeah. The author looks back over the two centuries of saga production that preceded him, celebrates the literary tradition of which he is a recipient and participant, and writes a kind of love letter to the sagas as a genre. Oh, that's much better put than what I say. Well, <laughs> and as we said, you know, he, he goes out of his way over and over again to connect Gretter's exploits with every other saga he can plausibly find a sideways link to. Mm-hmm. Now, that makes this a great saga for finding Easter eggs in, uh, but we have to say it can also be bewildering to new readers. Uh, it points to what I think can be the biggest problem in the saga as well. Its need to hit every point, to ring every bell, and to climb every mountain means that it wanders quite a lot. It uh, There's something to the critical opinion. <laughs> you enjoyed that? <laughs> there's nothing I like better than a, uh, a bit of a, <laughs> a, a nice reference to Sound of Music. That's right. In a saga thing episode. That's right. I like the idea of Greta uh, singing on the hills. Is he wearing later uh, hosen? The hills are alive. Uh, with the sound of Greta's victims. Uh, there's, there, really, there, there is something to the critical opinion that Greta's exploits often seem arbitrary and even repetitive. Uh, but while I don't deny that problem, I do think there's something artistic even in the meandering and occasionally inconsistent nature of the narrative. Yeah. When this saga is composed, the family saga age is reaching a zenith. Right. New kinds of narrative are dominating the literary scene, and Greta's author shows a kind of nostalgia for the great Icelandic sagas. His attempt to encapsulate everything he admires in his predecessor's stories creates a beautifully nuanced but occasionally aimless narrative that complements Greta himself. Just as Stefan Einerson said of Greta, this saga is bedeviled by fate and ultimately drifts. Mm-hmm. I love the nostalgic timber of Greta's personality in his story, and while I can't argue that it's a perfect saga, and I won't argue that, it belongs in a conversation with the greats. I'm going to give it a nine, mm. but if I keep talking, I'll convince myself it should be slightly higher. So I'll stop there. Very interesting. You know, I run into the same problem that you did, and I think you'll hear a lot of echoes of what you just said in what I say. Only you said it a lot better. So if anyone wants to stop listening now, <laughs> feel free, because it's just going to be a, a rambling. Don't bit you of believe it, folks? Nonsense coming. All right, so. You know, I spent a lot of time um, over the last four episodes sharing my thoughts on this saga. Um, and I, I think I went overboard sharing way more than I should have about the evolution of my understanding and in my appreciation for this saga during the epilogue episode. Um, but that's where I kind of hit my peak in terms of understanding what's going on 
or at least thinking I knew what was going on. So if you're wondering what I think and why I think what I think, just go back and listen to those <laughs> again, if you dare. Now, in short, uh, or in summation, I guess, I still think this saga lags in parts, as John said. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still think the saga author is a bit too obvious and overbearing in his effort to turn Greta's saga into a who's who of saga literature. We've got more scenes built around cameos than the latest Sharknado movie. It's embarrassing at times. I mean, it's just exhausting. <laughs> and I've never seen a Sharknado you're movie. You're going to call me on Sound of Music, but you're going to do a Sharknado reference? I did. I wrote Entourage, but I've never seen Entourage, so I don't really know. And uh, I also have never seen Sharknado, but I'm I'm positive that that's what's going on there. <laughs> anyway, it, like I said, it's exhausting at times because the author seems to sacrifice the opportunity to really develop his characters in the way that the Gisley Saga author does, uh, to develop the tensions as well, so that uh, he just instead wants to cram another reference to the big names of the era into the narrative. And that that's mm-hmm. not great. It's almost like whoever wrote the saga was a, a fanboy of saga literature whose mode of composition was determined largely by trying to hit all his favorite episodes in all the sagas that he loves so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you've ever read a book by Ernest Klein, who's the author of uh, Ready Player One, which I quite enjoyed, and then the really awful Armada, which I clearly didn't enjoy, then you'll know what I mean. <laughs> the love of the era just overwhelms the narrative at times. But... If you look closer, there's a whole lot more going on here. When you begin to consider what this author is doing with genre and with literature, and this Mm -hmm. honestly didn't occur to me until I started thinking more seriously about what the epilogue was doing and how it worked, the saga becomes a much more interesting and, dare I say, impressive work of literature. I haven't really processed completely all of what I'm thinking yet, but there's something really profound going on in this text. I'm almost positive of that. It's a reflection. <laughs> almost. <laughs> almost. That's why I don't want to oversell this a little, you know, too much. It's a reflection on the past and its relationship to the present. It's a reflection on the evolution of literature. It's a reflection on an evolving culture in the very midst of that evolutionary process. But it's not overt. You know, like much of Icelandic literature, its primary mode is understatement. And there's nothing here to give a definitive statement about the author's feelings, though I think at times we can guess uh, at what he feels in a few of the areas. And if all of this is true, then this is a really impressive work of literature. It's an impressive work Mm -hmm. of art. It's the kind of text you can read and reread. Like you said, look for the Easter eggs in it. Now, I went into this thing, and and by thing for this, and probably the only time, I, I mean a court of judgment. This mm-hmm. saga thing, I, I, I entered it believing that Gisli's saga was the better saga. And I'm not sure that's true anymore. Gisli is the better saga hero. His saga has the more compelling and carefully wrought plot. But if I'm judging the saga on its literary merits, I have to be generous. There's more going on here than in Gisli's saga. This is high art. This is something remarkable. It's something for the ages on an entirely different level than any of the other sagas that we've read. That said, I'm giving it a nine. Okay, that's ooh, wait, 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 a nine. Wait, that's the same score you gave Gisley's Saga, right? You you can't talk about how much better and more artistic Greta's Saga is, and then give it the same score. Why can't I? I mean, I I don't want to go overboard here. I'm working with a theory of Greta's Saga as an impressive work of art, but it is just a theory. I mean, this isn't the Canterbury Tales or Beowulf, you know. 
it's a really good saga that's pretty boring sometimes and really amazing at other times. It stars a, a thoroughly unlikable character that you somehow chose as Thingman. You think I'm not hey, going to dock it? I don't it find him unlikable. <laughs> I'm going to dock it points just for that. I mean, Gretcher's mm-hmm. lucky I'm giving him a nine. I was going to give him much lower, but I convinced myself that this oh. is a smarter saga than it might be. Now, now you're just being ridiculous. I don't understand how you calculate these things. Well, then I'll just be an enigma to you. Uh-huh. All right. Now, before we put Gretcher to bed, I wanted to share a few of the comments that we received about Gretcher from our listeners over the past few weeks. Okay. That's a great idea. Uh, I know there are some interesting discussions going on throughout this saga, uh, but you're really more up to date on the social media stuff mm-hmm. than I am. So what do people have to say? Well, um, one of our regular responders, uh, Adam Parsons, was really active throughout the Gretcher saga journey. And uh, we talked a lot about the sword, in, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, he wrote to say, thanks to our summary episodes, he came to the realization that Gretcher has to be Tolkien's inspiration for Turin to Rombar. You can't hmm. deny that both have horrible luck, he says, curses working against them, and they're both pretty rotten characters as well. So, you know, Matt Firth isn't the only one that thinks Gretchen's kind of rotten. Well. <laughs> um, Adam uh, continues, both stories are carefully balanced so that you're left torn about which is the greater force and can never quite decide where you sit. And in his opinion, they're both ultimately flawed, enigmatic, intriguing, and utterly fantastic characters. I think it's a pretty good analysis, actually. I mean, you've got uh, – there's a lot of parallels there. I hadn't really thought about it. Exactly. Yeah, And this was, according to Adam, our best saga so far. I think he really likes Gretchen's saga and our best Mm. string of episodes. Well, that's very kind of him. I think I'll agree with him. Well, I think so as well. I've had a lot of fun doing Gretchen. Uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Then we have Petter Nordenstrom, uh, also Mm -hmm. uh, enjoyed Gretchen's saga. He said that uh, Glom's cursing of Gretchen is probably the most haunting scene he's read in the sagas. Mm, he's certainly not alone in feeling that way. Uh, it's one of the scenes that defines the saga and makes it famous. And I should also note that uh, Petter says Gretcher is a truly frightening person and that he deserved the ending he got. So take that, John. Ouch! <laughs> That's a bit harsh, don't you think? A little harsh. I mean, Gretcher didn't deserve to die the way he did, but he definitely deserved to die oh, and to be outlawed. This is, this is rough. But to be fair, uh, Petter actually wanted the ghosts of the dead geese to come back and get Gretcher. <laughs> And that would have been an interesting end to Gretter's saga. Wouldn't it be? Out with a honk, not a whimper. <laughs> now, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't say that I've thoroughly enjoyed reading through the iTunes reviews that we've gotten recently. I know it's a pain to log on and write a review, especially if you're not a user of iTunes like uh, John and I. We don't use it, mm. but uh, but it goes a long way to helping this podcast get noticed. It really does. Now, we got a, we got a few in the last month or so that were really generous and really amazing. Uh Thanks to uh, Rectrup Lanman, uh, Mick, I'm going to say Mick O. <laughs> that's right. I think that's how you pronounce uh, it. And uh, Anon, 4837-828-38484. Good job. Uh, Kevin, IC Designer, and Tessadora for taking the time to review us. Yes. Uh, I'm so glad you read all those correctly. <laughs> and I'm sure they are as well. We are uh, touched by all of your kind words. Yes, I'm sure a non-4837, et cetera, is very touched. I know. Uh, and the the same goes to all of you who keep in touch with us regularly on Facebook and Twitter. Um, I don't need to tell you what we are on those. You'll just find it for yourselves. Um, but I would say that interacting with all of you is one of the things that I personally enjoy most about this podcast. Um it's a very welcome break for me from talking only to someone like John about this stuff. Oh, thanks very much. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now let's wrap this thing up. Let's finally put Gretchen to bed. 
Ah, good night, sweet Greta. Remember that you are my nation. <laughs> and may the cries of all the animals you killed sing you to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye for now. Wow, did we really get through all that? They can't see you give me the finger, but I know it's there.